Well, good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you. And let me just say I'm very proud of you for being here. It, it makes me think of the, of the Bible passage which says, blessed are those who worship God when it's below zero. It's a very obscure passage, but it's very important for a day like today. I also want to say uh, just a big appreciation and thanks to Doc Wilson for sharing his musical gifts today. That was just a blessing to us all. And if you were late for worship, well, shame on you. But two, you missed a, a wonderful, wonderful prelude. And I've had the opportunity a few times just to sit in here with Doc and he's shared a bunch of just great music and I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know him. And so that was awesome. There we go. Oh. I don't know if you've noticed, but there seems to be a lot of division in our country. Would you agree? There seems to be a lot of division everywhere. Now, I'm talking about everywhere. There's division over restaurants, about favorite foods, about sports teams, about almost everything under the sun. We seem to be surrounded by division and disagreement. Now, of course, probably the chief place that we see some of that division today is in politics right? It just seems like it gets more and more extreme and the rhetoric gets more and more negative and it's, you know, whether it's issues like taxes or social issues or virtually any topic under the sun, there seems to be division all around us. And you know, if you want to lose faith in humanity quickly, just read the comment section after almost any news article, People seem to be less and less willing to consider other points of view, and people seem less and less willing to assume the best about others. But you know what? It's not just our country that's divided. It's not just our politics that's divided. The Christian church also has a lot of division in it. Did you know that there are over 217 different denominations in the United States? And on top of that, there are hundreds and hundreds of other groups and associations that have come. And so we see really the history of the Christian church is splintering and disagreeing and dividing again and again. Now the thing is, some of these denominations and some of these groups, they just don't play well with others. Others maybe do a little bit, but again, it's not a great witness to the rest of the world, oftentimes. Unfortunately, the church can often be one of the most disagreeable and divided places or institutions around. Now, one of the big problems within churches oftentimes is when we start to elevate secondary issues to primary importance. Really, what happens is sometimes we have a tendency to make a Christian litmus test. Like, you have to do this and say this and behave this way if you are really a Christian. And we like to figure out who's in and who's out. You have to worship this way. You need to have this experience. You need to behave this way. You need to believe this exact thing, the exact way that I do. And not only that, you have to reject anyone who doesn't measure up to our created standards. Everybody else is wrong. Maybe they aren't even really a Christian at all, and I'm not going to see them in heaven someday. The church is full of divisions. I heard a story one time that I really enjoyed. It was a story about a man who was taking a walk on a beautiful summer day, 
So just imagine that for a moment. Get a little warmth, maybe. Now he's taking a walk, and he's crossing a bridge. It's a very high bridge. And he sees another man about to jump off the bridge. And he goes into panic mode. He has to help this guy out. And so he runs up, and he says, wait, wait, wait. And he tries to engage him in a conversation. And he says, well, you know, let's, let's talk about something. Well, are, you know, are you a religious man? And the guy who's about to jump in says, well, yeah, yeah, I, I would consider myself a religious man. And he said, well, are you a Christian? And the man about to jump says, well, yeah, yeah, I would say I'm a Christian. And the other guy's saying, all right, now we've got some common ground. And he said, well, are you a Catholic or a Protestant? And the man says, well, I'm a Protestant. And the other guy says, yeah, me too. You know, again, we have something in common. Now, what kind of Protestant are you? And the man about to jump says, well, I'm a Lutheran. And the other guy says, well, I am too. You know, again, we have something in common. This is good. Let's keep building on this. He said, what kind of Lutheran are you? And he said, you know, are you a, a mainline Lutheran or are you kind of a Missouri Synod, Wisconsin Synod type guy? And the guy said, well, you know, I'm a mainstream Lutheran. And the other guy said, well, I am too. This is amazing. You know, we could be friends. Well, what kind of background out of the mainstream Lutheran are you? Were you ALC or LCA before the merger? And the guy about ready to jump in said, well... I'm ALC background, that's kind of what I grew up as. And the other guy said, this is amazing, again, we have another thing in common. Well, before the ALC merged, were you ELC or were you free church? And the man about to jump said, well, I came out of the ELC. And the other guy said, no way, I mean, maybe we're related at this point. This is amazing, we have so, so much in common. So he said, well, before that merger, were you Norwegian Synod or Hauge Synod? And the man about ready to jump said, well, I came out of the Norwegian Synod. And the other guy pushed him off the bridge and said, heretic. <laughs> Again, the church is often full of way too many divisions. Now, it all comes back to what we talked about last week. The gospel, the pure gospel, is simply Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus your end times view. It's not Jesus plus your worship style. It's not Jesus plus your good behavior. It's not even Jesus plus your denomination. As Paul made it so clear in Galatians chapter 1, Jesus plus something more is in a completely different gospel. And it's no longer good news. And it's no longer freeing. Jesus plus nothing else makes you right with God. And that is where we always have to land. That's what we always have to go back to. But you know what? It's so easy to fall into a different type of thinking. Because I think we're conditioned to make boxes. And we like to construct a box and figure out who's in and who's out. Now, have you ever noticed when we create boxes, well, we're always in, right? And our friends are in because we want to be with them. And then a lot of other people are out. Well, Paul would remind us that anytime we raise secondary issues to primary importance, anytime we try to put all of these other caveats onto the gospel, he says, you will actually lose the gospel. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying there's not a place for debate or disagreement or even different theological perspectives. 
I love theology and I would love to have a four-hour coffee with you and talk theology someday. Just give me a call. But we have to go back to the basics again and again. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what if instead of fighting and disagreeing and dividing, the Christian church would actually model unity and would model love to the rest of the world? What if we would stay united in the essentials and give liberty in the non-essentials? And what if we would go out of our way to speak well of other people? What if we would go out of our way to be gracious, even with people that we have very little agreement with? What if we would always assume the best instead of assuming the worst? Imagine what difference it might make in our culture. Well, today, I want to look at the first part of chapter 2 of the book of Galatians with you. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Otherwise, it'll also be up on the screens. We're going to start with verse 2 of Galatians chapter 2. And Paul has told us that he's going to tell a story. He's trying to help the Galatians understand what's at stake. And he's talking about a time 14 years after he became a Christian. You might remember Paul was one of the biggest persecutors of Christians in history. He persecuted and killed Christians for a career. But Jesus showed up and he was converted and became one of the greatest missionaries to ever live. So 14 years after he became a Christian, Paul went to Jerusalem. And he went to Jerusalem with some friends named Barnabas and Titus. Paul himself was a Jewish Christian. Barnabas was a Jewish Christian. Titus was a Gentile Christian. Sounds like the setup to a joke, doesn't it? So they're heading to Jerusalem. The reason is Jerusalem was the headquarters of the early Christian church. It's where all the action was. All of the other apostles were stationed in Jerusalem and were leading churches. So Paul went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And he said, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. It's a very good reason to go, right? And he says, while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders in the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So Paul went up to Jerusalem and he's meeting with people like Peter, James, and John. And in this meeting, he has two objectives. First of all, he wants to share the gospel message that he has been preaching to make sure that they're on the same page. But number two, he wants to understand and he wants to see how these apostles are going to approach Titus, who is a Gentile. How are they going to approach Titus? How are they going to treat him? And he's afraid. He's afraid that in Jerusalem they are preaching a false gospel, that it's Jesus plus something else, just like is happening in Galatia, like we talked about last week. Now, we need to understand what a big deal this is. It's a crossroads for the early church because if in Jerusalem they're preaching a different gospel, Paul would have parted ways with them and the church would have split in half and we would have had a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church and it would still be impacting us today. 
But this is so important to Paul because Paul knows that Jesus came to unite us and not to divide us. So how are the apostles going to respond to Paul's questions? Are they going to stay true to the gospel? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or have they started to add too much? Well, happily, they come through with flying colors and they express the pure gospel and Paul sees unity. And so in the rest of the passage that we're going to look at today, Paul gives us three important ways that we can find true and real unity within the church today. The first is that Jesus unites us in freedom. You see, the apostles unanimously agreed that we are forgiven and we are made right and we are adopted into the family of God by grace alone, through faith alone. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by anything we do. It's by what Christ has done for us. Paul says, they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. Now, this is a big theological deal, but it's also a big practical deal, because the question was, did Gentile Christians have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? And as we talked about last week, this was a pretty big deal for any male convert. Like, is surgery going to be a part of the new member class? Paul goes on and he says, even that question came up only because some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us, and here's the key, to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. That's what's at stake. When you add to the gospel, the false teachers, they're taking away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And then he says they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. These false teachers are adding to the gospel. They're adding rules. They're adding regulations. When people try to say Jesus plus something else, Paul says run the other way because they are taking away your freedom. When someone says you have to earn your salvation, when someone says, you are in control of your salvation, when, they, when someone says, you can make yourself right with God by following these bullet points, Paul says, they're bringing you right into slavery. They're taking away your freedom. Look at verse 5. It says, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. If you have a Bible you can write in, I would circle the word preserve. That's what we've been charged with, church. We need to preserve the good news of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves daily. We need to tell others. We need to teach our children. Preserve the truth of the pure gospel. Don't add anything to it. Now the thing is, the gospel seems too good to be true, doesn't it? We start to doubt, could this really be that it is a free gift of grace, that Jesus died for us while we are still sinners? We don't have to do anything and we get his eternal benefits? 
how can that be so good? How can that be so true? And Paul says, don't cave in. Preserve the gospel. When you hear somebody say, it's Jesus plus this, or Jesus plus that, it's Jesus plus your performance, it's Jesus plus your spiritual experience, it's Jesus plus some sort of class, he says, refuse to give in. Preserve the freedom of the gospel. People need to hear the amazing countercultural truth of God's free gift of grace. Really, it leads to an important question that we need to ask ourselves. When you think about Jesus and the gospel, do you feel weighed down or do you feel lighter? When you think about the gospel and Jesus, do you feel pressure or do you feel relief? Do you feel like you're in slavery or do you feel like you are free? Paul wants to make it crystal clear to each one of us that as Christians, we have freedom in Christ. Jesus sets us free, really in two big ways. Jesus frees us from the weight of our sins. Jesus frees us from the weight of our sins. There was a movie out about 15 or so years ago called The Patriot with Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson's the main character. His name is Benjamin Martin. And he has this interesting quote. He says, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me and the cost is more than I can bear. I think many of us can relate to that thinking. We feel enslaved to our sins, to our past mistakes. We fear being found out and we feel weighted down by all of those sins. Well, look at what Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He says, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven, what? All our trespasses, not just some. He has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for every single one of your sins so that you can experience freedom. You no longer have to be weighed down by your sins. Well, number two, Jesus frees us from the weight of our performance. I think there are just as many people today who feel enslaved to the future as they do to the past. It's kind of like feeling like we're on a treadmill. Like we somehow have to keep up running just to be able to move forward into the future. Just barely hanging on, wondering if we'll ever be good enough. Will we ever be acceptable to a holy God? Well, we need to go back to just that gem of a passage from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's trusting that he has fulfilled the law for you. You're free. You can get off the treadmill. You can stop worrying about your performance because your acceptance to God 
is not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. And when you let that truth sink into your life, when you let the gospel change you, it's then that we are freed to go and follow him as a response. Not as a have to, but as a get to. Out of gratefulness, out of thanksgiving, we then go forward through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow what God expects of us. But don't flip that. Your acceptance is not based on your performance. It's not based on your behavior. It always starts with what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Jesus frees us from the weight of our performance. Now, Jesus also unites us in mission. Paul says, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Paul and Peter had the exact same mission. They were going to share and preach the gospel with anyone that they could, but they were called to go to different groups of people, different audiences, Paul is sent out to the Gentiles. Peter is sent out to the Jews. Their audience is different. They might use different methods, different stories, different worship styles even. But the ultimate goal, the ultimate message is the same. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, the reality all the way back to the first days of the early church, and it's still true today, is we're not going to agree on everything as a church. We might like one style of worship over another. We might prefer way shorter sermons. Anybody? <laughs> we might want more lights. We might want less lights. We might want a smoke machine. It's all secondary to the primary issue of the gospel. We need to find unity in the mission. That's what Paul is teaching us. We need to find unity in the mission. Jesus was clear. He said, go make disciples of every nation. That's our job. That's what we've been charged with. And to do so, he calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to die to ourselves daily in order to reach others who are lost without him. If you were here last week, I asked a question. I said, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to reach people for Christ? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to reach people for Christ? And here's a hard question. Is there something that you hold on to so tightly that you actually love it more than Jesus' mission? Is there something that you hold on to so tightly that you love that thing or that practice more than Jesus' mission? The hard truth, church, is the Bible has one word for that. Idolatry. We need to be united in the mission to reach people for Christ. You see, some churches find unity but it's unity in being comfortable, kind of creating a bubble, not worrying about anyone on the outside. But Jesus says that's, that's not an option. 
We need to be united in mission, reaching out with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Our world is lost. Our world is dark. But we have the light. We have the key to freedom. Let's be united in the mission. The same story that Paul is talking about in Galatians 2 is also found in Acts chapter 15. So if you want a little more explanation, this afternoon I'd encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 15 and you get the whole debate that's going on. And they're trying to decide what are the regulations and the rules that we're going to have. And at one point, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. Pause for a moment. If you ever need proof that Jesus was who he said he was, just consider the fact that Jesus' own brother believed he was the Son of God. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Son of God? James stood up and he said a key sentence in Acts 15, 19. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Friends, what are the ways that we are making it difficult for people to come to faith? What are the stumbling blocks? What are the expectations? What are the additions that we are putting in front of people who desperately need to hear the good news? What are we willing to sacrifice to reach people for Christ? What are we willing to let go of to fulfill his mission? Lastly, Jesus unites us in generosity. Verse 10, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have been eager to do. Christians need to work together to serve others to meet needs. Again and again, the Bible reminds us the reason that God blesses us is so that we can be a blessing to others. And the importance of caring for the poor is a theme that runs through all of Scripture. Jesus modeled this again and again in his ministry, and we're called to follow his lead. So there are so many different ways that people here at Calvary go out and they serve people and they make an impact in the community. But as you've been hearing about and Pastor Carol told us about at the beginning of the service, we have an incredible opportunity this week to come together and serve the poor through our mobile food pack with Feed My Starving Children. We need your help. We have a huge goal that God has given us. We need you to step up and get behind this. We're going to make a difference in thousands and thousands of people's lives and we need you to support this financially. You see, church, when we reach out with love and compassion, the world takes notice. And when we are united in generosity, when we are united in sharing Christ's love, it makes a difference in our community and beyond. Now, this message of freedom and unity in Christ was not only an important message 2,000 years ago, it's a vitally important message today. Now, it all starts with you personally. 
Have you let the goodness of the gospel flood your life and soul? Have you let the goodness of the gospel flood your life and soul? Or are you still carrying around the weight of your sins? Are you still living in fear that you might not ever be good enough, that you will never measure up? Church, remember, God does not accept you based on how well you're doing or based on what you've done. He accepts you purely based on what Christ has already done for you. Remind yourself of that today. Every morning, every night, Martin Luther said he had to preach the gospel to himself every single day. Another important question. When you look at others, how do you see them? Can you at all identify with those early Christians who looked at the Gentile converts and knew they believed in Jesus, but they felt like they were lesser than or they were somehow deficient? I think it's a problem that happens all too often today. We might look at someone who's put their faith in Jesus, but they maybe haven't changed all their behaviors Maybe they look or act differently than us and we look down upon them. We all have the tendency to judge people based on external factors. When in reality, the gospel, Jesus, is enough. Paul says there's no favoritism when it comes to God. God's not a closet Presbyterian or Lutheran or Methodist. God looks at us all on level ground. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And that means a pinnacle member of a church who's been serving for 50 years, standing next to someone with full of tattoos and smoking a cigarette who has just come to faith, God looks at them equally. And that's this final truth. We are one in Christ. All the rest is details. We are one in Christ. The rest is details. We are sinners saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. As we close, imagine what this might look like if every single one of us would go live this out in our community. If every one of us would prioritize unity and would prioritize mission and would prioritize freedom, if we would go out as a united body of Christ to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Imagine what an impact that would have. Imagine how people would take notice and say, those people are different. Look at how they love each other and they love others. Look at how they sacrifice for others. Look at how generous they are. I think if we were to truly model unity in Christ, it would change the world. I want to leave you with one more scripture passage. It's from the book of Psalms. Psalm 133, where it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's a good verse to memorize, isn't it? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, if you read that entire psalm, you'll notice at the end, there's a direct connection between God's blessing and our unity. 
The psalmist says, when we live together in unity, when we stay focused on the gospel, when we don't major in the minors, God will bless us in a profound way. So church, let's take steps forward this week and every week into the future of being united in Christ, sharing the love of Jesus wherever we go. Let's let the Holy Spirit empower us so that we can make a difference for him everywhere we go. Amen? Let's pray.